This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Recollections Radio. Monday morning tea time is now all about sharing memories with you, old and new, of life in Dunedin. Bringing you stories, interviews and music from times past and inviting you to share your memories with us. Presented by Jill Bowie and Kay Mercer, the team behind Dunedin Public Library's Scattered Seeds Archive. Thanks to generous funding by the New Zealand Libraries Partnership Project. Recollections Radio, Monday mornings at 11 on 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. wonderful good morning to you all out there it's jill and i here today welcoming you to recollections radio hello there jill good morning how are you going today i'm good another busy week as always (laughs) you've had a particularly busy weekend i've had a particularly busy weekend indeed yes so i was helping uh with the regent theater book sale so yeah full-on weekend but you know it's, it was such an amazing atmosphere. Everyone was in such a good mood. And I just love those moments where you kind of sit back and you think, well, all of these people, all of the friends of the Regent Theatre and the volunteers and the library, I mean, the theatre staff are all, you know, just working away just to raise money to keep the theatre going. Absolutely. So, yeah. Common goal. Yes, but mm. I forgot, you know, it's one of those things when you're not used to lugging boxes of books and things around that you feel a bit old this morning. Oh, oh <laughs> Everything hurts a bit more than it normally does. It was a, it was a good cause, but, but a bit stiff. It. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, any idea how many books you must have sold yesterday? Oh, quite, quite a lot. Yeah, so yeah. Friday and Saturday. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, a lot have gone out, I think. So, Excellent. Yeah. No, and I think they'll be really happy with... Um, with what they've achieved, so yeah, fantastic. But yeah. it's a great weekend. Excellent. Yeah. Oh well, it's been a busy week for me. I've been uh, interviewing people and uh, keeping work going on the Scattered Seeds archive. Mm-hmm. So um, this week I had a lovely visit with the uh, Globe Theatre, which I'll. Well, yes, I'll tell you a few secrets. Um, we, <laughs> you'll be able to hear the interview in a couple of weeks' time. But um, I met a ghost, for example, which oh. was very exciting, <laughs> um, and I met a beautiful black Labrador called oh. Ellie. And I met uh, Aaron and Brian, who are members of the Friends of the Theatre, and found out about how the theatre works. And it rained, honestly. <laughs> it, I thought the roof was going to come in, but they've done a brilliant job in their renovations, and it was watertight. I was no and we were cosy. No leaks at all. <laughs> and I was very lucky um, to be taken on a tour by Aaron, who is the chair of the Friends, and he took Ooh, me on a lovely tour. They have an amazing, amazing wardrobe department. It's it's the whole top floor pretty much um, there's some props in in some of the corridors but mostly it's uh, prop uh, wardrobe and it's very very well organized you Ooh, know, I love a good wardrobe this in one place and this in another room shoes in a whole room full of shoes it was well, just a delight I didn't realize yeah. it was that big it had it's, all that yeah it's quite area. big yeah, the, the whole house is used really for yeah. for the theater wow uh, so yes, they've done an amazing job and it was really, really good to hear about all their projects and their stories and their memories of, of how the theatre started. So you'll be able to hear that in a couple of weeks' time. So Excellent. thank you so much to the Globe Theatre. Now you've got a story oh, about... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was... Um, very unusual story just, about the octagon. Yeah, doing a bit of research just during the week and... Uh, and did you know that they had dug trenches in the octagon? It's just, uh, you know, just for safety's sake, you know, just in case during the war, um, yeah, there was uh, bombs or anything <sighs> threatening, threatening Dunedin. So, um, and 
1941, on the 13th of December, there was a an emergency sort of meeting. Um, so the mayor, Mr. A. H. Allen, and the city engineer, uh, Mr. S. G. Schooler, they um, went to a conference in Wellington at which measures to protect the civil population of New Zealand were discussed. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so they were, yeah, they were. The surrounding boroughs of Wellington, you know, they were talking about the, the dangers which the, com- the country was facing mm. because of the war. Uh, and so the government did not intend to be caught unawares. Every citizen must be considered a soldier, said the mayor. And uh, the mayor had to pow- the power to do whatever he thought necessary to protect the people. So, yeah, so they decided to build these trenches. And so they started on the 16th of December in 1941. And uh, so uh, the green sward of the octagon was scarred yesterday when oh. a large gang of men commenced digging trenches to provide protections for the public in the event of an air raid or bombardment from the sea. Shocking to think, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they were, they were pretty deep. So, yeah, and they were also um, telling you know, citizens to, to start digging their own trenches in their backyards. Just no. to, um, He advised the evacuation of small trenches. So this was um, the mayor. Uh, and citizens' gardens, similar in design to those being in the octagon, uh, deep enough to enable a person to lie stretched out under cover below ground level. Mm. Yeah, that's so, horrific, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, isn't it scary? Yeah, to think they, all over here in New Zealand. Yeah, we were that. They were prepared to be prepared. Yeah, Goodness. so they had um, public shelters in the basement of the town hall and the DIC. Oh. Um, and architects were asked to design a one thousand person shelter in Spates <gasps> Brewery a building in Rattray Street. Goodness I me! It would have been quite, you know, a nice place to go, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Free beer, <laughs> but they, fortunately they were never used, and mm. they were removed in nineteen forty five. So thank um, heavens. Yeah. Pretty amazing, though, when you see the photos. So yeah. um, there's a great stories from um, a book called The Heart of the City, which was public, written by um, Norman Ledgerwood. So we have copies at the oh, library. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. fascinating, you know, the stories that he tells about the Octi and, and sort of surrounding areas. So I definitely... Um, Look that one up. Yeah. Amazing to think as you walk around the octagon at one point under your feet. Yeah. There were dugouts. Exactly. In preparation for Quite amazing. And they also did um, fundraising. So they had these little kind of... uh, like little timber, sort of a shed where mm. um, different... Like a shelter. Yeah, different associations. So they um, were fundraising for the Otago Patriotic Council and uh, on the lower side of that central carriageway in the Octagon. So the Women's Territorial, Territorial Association, the Town's Women's Guild, uh, Dunedin Business and Professional Women's Clubs. Yeah. So they you know, sold produce and cakes and preserves just to raise money for the for the... Patriotic Council. So, so sort of for the war effort, really. Yeah. yeah. yeah so Incredible. But local businesses um, were a bit concerned about, you know, the effect it would have on their businesses, but oh, they dear. stayed there. So, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, school pupil, pu- pupils and, you know, they all helped out and yeah. raised money. Well, I suppose so it's, it's the cool. equivalent of, of today's sausage sizzles, Except, really, isn't yeah. it? But, but with a much yeah. more serious cause, I suppose. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. There's a photo of the dugout and then sort of the sort of trenches, the air raid blast trenches beside it as well. So, Gosh. Yeah, pretty amazing. Just well, to... thank goodness they were never needed. Yeah. My word.
No. Terrifying. Mm. Fascinating, you know, history of the city, isn't it? We have a great job, don't we, finding we do. out all this wonderful information. <laughs> it's yeah. an excellent excuse to yeah. snoop about. Oh, it really is. <laughs> well, uh, also this week I've been progressing the polio project, which, as you know, we've been collecting people's stories, their recollections of the time when polio was rife in New Zealand and in Dunedin particularly. So I had a lovely chat with a gentleman this week um, who was at school. His story goes back slightly earlier than the 50s, which is what we had been concentrating Mm -hmm. on. He was looking at the end of the 40s, sort of 46, 47. And he was a nine-year-old boy at the time. And he didn't contract portfolio, uh, portfolio <laughs> polio, fortunately, um, but he does remember the calipers and he had lots of stories to tell about what it was like at school and how they had a very, very, very long summer holiday in oh. 1946 because it started in November and didn't finish until March because they were isolating effectively, keeping the children apart from each other to a certain extent and the schools were closed. So, yes, it's interesting how history repeats, isn't it? I know, and you sort of, yeah, it's not as unprecedented as, as we think it is. It exa- exactly that right. That buzzword, yeah. Yeah, that buzzword. Um, so, yes, that's the, one of many portfolio stories we have, and we're looking to load those onto Scattered Seeds. So if you want to find out what it was like growing up in the for- late 40s and 50s mm. when the portfolio... I keep calling it portfolio. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm having a day. Um, when that's polio was was happening um you can find out more about that and you you've got a nice chance to compare it once we uh, make live our project on the covid situation yes. so we're sort of doing a parallel project then and now if you like to compare the two different pandemic or epidemics and pandemic yeah. um just to see what the effects were on the population so those are two histories that are running side by side and should proved to be quite interesting yeah. when they're finished. And you might sort of read things and then think, oh, I remember you know, something like that, and then you might want to choose exactly. to contribute yourself. So, exactly. Yeah. So hop along to the Recollections website, dunedin.recollect.co.nz, and on the left-hand side there is a Contribute button. So if you have memories to contribute, you can just click that, just put in your name and email address, and you can contribute a story or a photo or anything you'd like to contribute to the archive there. Um, or you can contact us. We are Jill and Kay, and you can contact us via the library number 03-474-3690, or you can email us at library at dcc.govt.nz. And polio is obviously just one of the projects we're working on. We've got all sorts of different projects, and you can you can find out more if you listen to previous episodes of, the, of this show. Um, but we've had a, a suggestion this week for a new project, Jill. Ah. Um, yes, from one of our staff members. The, <laughs> appropriate enough, it was uh, one of our bindery staff ah. who suggested that we do a timeline of bookshops in Dunedin. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a great idea, because I know we have had some... Um, interesting books written about bookshops in Dunedin. I think I don't think yeah. he's finished it yet, but I know that Jim Sullivan was working on a book. Oh, okay. Um, he started the project, I think, in 2017, exploring the various different bookshops. He actually he wrote an article for us for uh, NB magazine. Uh, the story of the city's bookshops is not only something of, epic, of an epic tale, but it also re- reveals intriguingly unexpected chapters, so he wrote. Um, Dunedin status as a UNESCO city of literature reflects the achievements of the many writers who wielded their pens here, but no writer can survive without booksellers. How true that is. As early as 1840, Octavius Harwood was writing from the whaling station at Otaku, asking his brother in London to send more books, and Dunedin's first book auction was held as early as 1849. 
when William wow. Cutton offered books from the estate of Otaku farmer Andrew Rowand. So it's sort of a really interesting <laughs> how the, the the Regent book sale is still going and Dunedin people are still demanding yes, exactly. book sales. So it's great to see that happening and still how many years later. Mm. During the 1850s, books would appear in auction sales and many general merchants would import stocks of books to sell alongside their other wares. And so it continues. So that's a really interesting article that Jim has written. And that um, was my first job in Dunedin. You know? In 1840? Well, no, slightly later. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. 90, 1996, I worked for London Bookshops, which was down ah, on George Street, and uh, won the Golden Centre. Yeah, so it's a great shop. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure that would make a really good story. Yeah, so. I still have a pin, a London Bookshop pin somewhere, and we used to have to wear green and white stri- uh, vertical striped shirts, not the best look Not for me, so I would attractive, no. You know, yeah, well. <laughs> Any photos? Uh, there must be, oh, you know, I'm sure there's someone Oh, well, you have to dig yeah, them we'll out dig and them put them up. in the yeah, archive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody out there has memories of their favourite bookshops over the years, please do get in touch, whether it's recently or in the far past. Mm. We'd love to hear from you so we, we can start that new project. Mm. Anyway, enough about that. Shall we have some music now? Yeah. I think it's uh, another great Kiwi classic. So this is Nature by the Formula. Nature 
that's a lovely sort of 60s, 70s vibe there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, great. That one. Really good. That was uh, The Formula, which is spelt in a very unusual way, um, with Nature. Now, we're going to have the second part of our wonderful interview with Julie Woods. It was really a great pleasure talking to her a couple of weeks ago. She is an author, uh, a motivational speaker. She is an advocate for blind and low vision people. She is a visionary, really, which is ironic since she is a blind person. Um, but let's hear the second part of her interview now. Um, this is where she talks about her travels around the world. Well, of all your wonderful adventures, what, what's the, can, you, can you nail down one? Is the one best experience you've ever had? I think about people often ask me this within the context of why not. And I often reply, I've gone back and sort of sifted through all the things I've said why not to, which are numerous, as you could imagine. <laughs> yes. And I often think that the best thing that I said why not to was do you want to learn Braille? Mm. Because that set off a chain of adventures. Yeah. Um, it, it got me a position at Blind Low Vision NZ as their Braille awareness consultant. Right. It took me over to Paris for Louis Braille's 200th birthday, which in turn took us home through Egypt and Jordan. That oh. was the beginning of us visiting the seven wonders of the world which led on to writing Needy Pandy's name in Braille, which went on to setting my goal to write a million names in Braille. Yeah. It's been very impactful and often, you know, it's that chain reaction. It's a catalyst, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, one thing will set off another and it all goes back to that moment when I said, why not to do you want to learn Braille? And I remember thinking at the time, is it going to be any use to me? And I remember having the conversation with mum, saying, what do you think, you know? And, and we both came to that conclusion, well, you don't know and, until you try, yeah. until you do it, and whether you f only then will you find out whether it was useful or not. Yeah. And of course, it's just opened a, a whole new world to yeah. me. As it has done for many millions. Yeah, and it did, yeah exactly. And it did for Louis Braille. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. absolutely, crikey, gosh. Yeah. Absolutely, changed the lives of so many blind people around the world and that's what inspired me about his story because he came from this place that I was at having gone blind although he was much younger he was only four mm. but the transformation in his life where he went in early 19th century France rural France a little French boy that then went on to invent the system yeah. That would change the lives of blind people all around the world. How inspiring is that? It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And that's in all of us. It is in all of us. Yeah. And often when I go and speak to intermediate age children in particular, because Louis Braille was 12 when he started inventing his system of reading and writing, I often ask the 12-year-old boys in the room to stand up because I say Louis Braille was just one young man who made a difference mm. to the world that we live in. What are you going to do? That's cool. Mm. Because I think we all think it's somebody else and it's somebody famous that lives on the other side of the world. And mm. we, as you say, we all have the power to, to make a difference and to be great. Yes, and, and the most amazing things often start, usually start with just a person, one normal person. That's right, taking one normal step. Yep. 
towards making something better. positive. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. Mm. I'm going to change tack now. Can we oh, talk yeah. Ron? Ron? Ron yes, Esplin. he's in the other room. <laughs> we'll talk quietly. <laughs> Your husband, Ron Esplin, yes. is an artist. Amazing artist. We're surrounded by beautiful paintings in your lovely home. So lucky. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having a look. Um, how do you experience this work? If, if, if you don't mind me asking. No, that's a great question because a lot of people ask it. They figure, how does a blind woman and an artist husband work together? Mm. And actually it works pretty well because as well as being an artist, Ron likes to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so he will verbalise what he sees with an artist's eye. Yeah. Uh, he said to me this morning, we lo he looked out the window and he said, there's a pall of clouds over there. And I said, well, what's that? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's just a whole lot of clouds. So he <laughs> has a colourful use of language he's, and he's vocabulary. Poet, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as well. But he will, you know, hmm. most people would say, oh, it's a bit misty out there. Yeah. But um, he, he says a whole lot more and he sees it with an artist's eye and he will then describe it. I've been to, you know, a lot of the art galleries around the world, yeah. which seems a bit pointless for a blind woman at one level, but I've also been afforded the privilege of being able to touch some of those artworks and have them described to me by amazing guides. And through Ron's eyes as well, he would verbally describe them too. So yeah. it's been astonishing um, to experience that the way I experience the world when I travel is through my other senses which is yeah. smell, hear, taste and touch and every day I'm away I write a sensory diary of one thing I smell, hear, taste and touch throughout the day. Mm. So the day we went to the Uffizi Gallery in Florence my touch entry was the frame of The Birth of Venus by oh, Botticelli. Oh gosh. Yeah. Amazing. And that question comes up a lot. What was that was on the chase? I think the other day, what was the Venus sitting on? The it, it was the shell. Oh, that's right, rising mm. up from the shell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. So your mind's eye must be very well developed. You can see things in your mind. Yeah, I do see things in my mind. Yeah, I do. I think I take the information that I can that comes in through my other senses. Mm. And that formulates the picture that I make. Yeah. So in your mind's eye, I'm stunningly beautiful. You are. Yeah. And so I'll take... That's why I spend so much time with you. <laughs> I glean information from other people and that's what they tell me. <laughs> so that's what I go with. I'm very trusting. <laughs> Don't believe everything you hear. <laughs> All right, enough about me. Um, <laughs> so how do, you, how do you find Dunedin as a place to live? Um, you know, what do you love about the city and what could it do better? Oh, I think I've kind of, oh, I love, what do I love? I love its old buildings. I love its history. I love its people. I love the harbour. Mm. I love its streets. <laughs> I'm walking every street in Dunedin with Joe, yes. my sighted guide and friend, and Ron. I... I love its size and its attitude. Yeah. It's got a really great attitude. It's got a can-do attitude. Yeah, and I think that is related to our Scottish heritage mm. and our um, emphasis on education. 
those two things are really important. That's yeah. what I love about it. Yeah. Of course, it could be more accessible in terms of the physical environment, some of the things that are, you know, having a letterbox in Dunedin, I get a lot more print through the mail than I should. Mm. Um, but that's a, that's a wider issue than Dunedin. Mm. But I believe that we can make a difference, even though we're in Dunedin and we're a smaller city in the, in, within the country. It doesn't stop us from making noise doesn't and stop having you. a voice. <laughs> <laughs> and having a voice. Excuse me, what about us down here? Excuse me. <laughs> That's right, we matter. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. do matter. Yeah. Yeah, we matter. And yeah, I was going to say we're not too pretentious. That's what I love about Dunedin. Yeah. You have written, and we touched on this earlier, you've written a couple of inspirational books about your life and your personal philosophy. One is How to Make a Silver Lining, which mm. I love, and the other is Why Not, of course, which is your most recent one. What is the process of writing like for you? Is it, is it quite different from the talks you give? Because you, you, know, you speak about your life and you, you inspire people. Is the process of writing a book very different from that? Or is, just, is, it, is it the print version of your, of your talk? basically. I always say writing down my thoughts is the first step in speaking them. Yeah. I'll often start with the writing that will morph into the speaking. Unless I've written them down, I've, I, I find it a, ga a great place to formulate my thoughts yeah. and to get them into some kind of order. Yeah, so often it will start with writing. And I use a screen reader on my computer. I learned to touch type when I went blind. Mm. That was a really important step towards writing for me. Mm. And I'll have my files organised in a book form and, and then just start. And thank goodness for cut and paste, eh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that Janet Frame didn't have at her fingertips. Yeah. Imagine what she could have done. <laughs> Um, but that's, yeah, I really like, um, once again, taking the reader from a beginning point and ending up somewhere else mm. and just, yeah, writing and expressing my thoughts, trying to let people into my world, even though it's normal and everyday to me, I appreciate that it's not to everyone else. And if by writing down my thoughts and putting them together in a book form, can help, then I will do that. Mm. One one thing that um, I'm always touched by you when we come, when we when we meet, wherever that might be, mm. whether it's at a public event or popping around to see you or at the library, you are always always full of joy and happiness, and you share that with people. You you, you pass that on, and that's a wonderful talent you have. And you you're very keen to m make sure people are happy. You like to see other people happy, don't you? I do, I do. When I was seven years old I fell over in the company of my nan and she turned to my mother and said, whatever happens to Julie, she'll come up smiling. Yeah. And I think, well, she saw something in me as a little girl that I hold dear to this yeah. day. Yeah. This thought that spreading joy is something that's important to do. I just... Um, Helen Keller said we're never really happy until we try to brighten the lives of others. Mm. And I so believe that because you can have a difference in somebody's day by 
being happy mm. and smiling and saying hello and connecting. Yeah. yeah, it is important. I don't know where that comes from, but but it's certainly there. And it's infectious. It's wonderful. Yeah, well, people are important, Kay. Mm. I mean, there's nothing really more important than human relationship, yeah. I believe. You're right. You're right. We can be so inwardly focused, especially over the last couple of years we've had. Mm. So it's really important to remember that people are important mm. to give them a bit of joy. Well, that's what One Million Names in Braille is about, mm. handing them that piece of joy. Mm. And I've noticed some of the volunteer Braille producers who can start out quite reluctant at approaching people, and we've done it in the library before, Yes, um, going up to somebody and it's the confidence to do that. But the more you do it, the more you know that you're going to be received positively. Right. And um, and that helps as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, listeners, if you see Julie out and about, or her colleagues, definitely get your name in Braille. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it is a little piece of joy. And it's something you can touch and see and have of yourself that Julie's created for you. It's a little piece of art, really. It is like a little piece of art. I'm always amazed at the um, visual pleasure people got get from looking at Braille. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you, you very kindly, some years ago, when, you, when we were touring together, you were teaching children about mm. Braille and connecting them with Braille and, and blindness. We did a, a tour. Uh, youth centres and that sort of thing, after school care, and you created a list of all the children mm. who came to those, mm -hmm. and you made it into a piece of artwork for me. I and did. I very kindly framed it, and that's in my lounge. And I do look at it. It's white on white, but yep. it's beautiful because the, the dots are there. And I know every one of those dots represents a child. I, I don't remember the names now, mm. but I know every single one of those lines of dots represents a child, and that's that we together shared something with them and, and gave them something to take away and improve their lives in some way and taught them meaning. Yes and once again that the inspiration for that artwork was about every name counts. Yeah it does. Yeah, yeah. every person counts. Absolutely so I thank you for that that was, was a beautiful My thing. pleasure. So what's your next adventure then or adventures knowing you? <laughs> <laughs> What's my next adventure? It was part of lockdown, since we're talking about lockdown, Ron completed the paintings for our next book, which is called Wonderlust. Love it. About our dream to visit the seven wonders of the world. And the diaries that we had for that were, were quite extensive. Ron would write in, in great detail where we went every day, and then I would do the sensory diary. But I discovered that when we printed it off to proofread it, honestly, it was about the song. <laughs> it was very fat. And I thought, that's a lot of words to be lugging around. Um, so I thought, how could I do this more simply? And I thought, oh, maybe I could write it as a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've done. That's intriguing. <laughs> I cannot wait to read this. When, when will it be published? Well, I'm hoping to do a boosted campaign to raise the funds to, to print it. Yeah. That's the next thing to happen. I'm hoping by the end of this year, 2022. And yes, so we've got Julie Jane and Ronald. I love it. Are the two characters. There's a, there's a TV series <laughs> in the making there. And so Ron loved, uh, well, it was great because he became very focused in our first lockdown mm. in 2020. 
very focused on producing the artworks for that mm. and since then we've gone on to do the next fairy tale which is 50 by 50 based on my dream to visit 50 countries by the time I was 50. Yeah. So and they're nicely linked to those two. Yes they are yeah because yeah, they all it all leads on Kay. Yeah. All started with saying do you want to to why not to do you want to learn braille. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. How something small, a yes or a mm. no, changes your whole path. Mm. Yeah, it's about taking positive action and it's about taking imperfect action yeah. because you don't always know how it's going to end. I didn't know that learning Braille was going to be so positive. Mm. It could have been a total flop and I could have hated it and not carried on with it, but the reverse was true. I don't know if that would ever be the case in your life. You, well, you seem to make everything a positive. Well, I, I think what I loved about Braille was not just the learning, but the application yeah. and applying it to my life. And that's when it really became alive to me. Yeah, yeah that's what I loved about it. It's like here you could take this piece of theory and you could use it. Yeah. And you could go, oh, you could stick it on your lipstick or <laughs> your baking containers. Or you could write it, somebody's name in Braille. Or you could make some notes for a, a meeting. Or you could start to read a poem or a book in, in Braille. There was so many applications. That's what I love about it. Mm. It's possibility, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your life with us. It's been wonderful talking to you. Mm, well, it's wonderful talking to you. Very Thank much you. appreciated. Thank, Thank you, you very much for the work that you do to promote our city and um, for being the wonderful person that you are. Oh, I thank you for being in the city because yeah. it really wouldn't be the same without you. You're an amazing person. <laughs> thank you, Kay. You are, you are the light of our city. Oh, that's lovely. Thank <laughs> you. This is the mutual appreciation. Of <laughs> yeah. No, they've Kay. all gone. They've, 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 they've turned off. Got bored. <laughs> it's just us now. <laughs> Oh, that was fun. I think that's probably one of the most fun interviews I've had with the wonderful Julie Woods there. So it was quite, quite a beautiful love feast there oh, at the it end. It was. I do so love sweet. her to bits. She's yeah. just such an amazing woman and such a visionary. Really love her. Anyway, so thank you so much, Julie, for sharing that with us. And this is uh, Julie's well-travelled, well-travelled lady. So this is for her. This one is called Welcome Home by Dave Dobbin.
dreams with the mountains they'll be high there's a cloud full in the these aisles just playing chase with the sun and it's black and it's white Welcome home, Dave did, Dobbin. Did I ever tell you the story of uh, me and my brother recreating Dave Dobbin's uh, loyal album cover? No, do tell. <laughs> my brother, he is a truck driver, and so through in Central Otago, and one day he realised that the the hall on um, the loyal cover yeah. was the Lowburn Hall, which I don't think is there anymore, just sort of passed oh. through Cromwell. And so we had to take a trip to recreate that album cover. <laughs> <laughs> and you photographed that? Or? Yes, yes, it's there. I don't know whether I'd want it uh, seen by the public, but it is there. <laughs> well, just show me. I'd like to see it. <laughs> and I was wearing, you know how, like, the movie Flashdance and Jennifer Beals was wearing one of those cut-off kind of grey sweatshirts? I was fully into that phase then, so oh, I'm yes. wearing one of those great sweatshirts Perfect. as well. Oh, it's such fun to do actually recreating your favourite album covers <laughs> and not realising that the building wasn't going to be there so well, I suppose it's quite significant even now, better but, um, yeah oh well you yeah. should put that on the archive I think Dave Dobbin's story <laughs> well I've got another story for you here um, I was reading in the various newspapers across the world as I do and I discovered the story of the unluckiest book in the world would you like to hear that oh, one the unluckiest yeah. book in the world in 1911, Francis Sangorski finished work on a binding he'd been labouring over at his Holborn workshop for two years, a book whose origins went back to the 12th century. While Sangorski had bound some versions of the renowned Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam before, the master craftsman said that this time he wanted to create a work featuring three peacocks he would surround with jewelled decorations such had never been seen before. It was breathtakingly magnificent, measuring 16 inches by 13 inches, which is 40 centimetres by 35 centimetres. The book was encrusted with, wait for it, 1,050 jewels, <laughs> including specially cut rubies, topazes and emeralds. Ooh, Imagine having that in your book collection. Yeah. Wow. About 100 square feet, 9 square metres of gold leaf and some 5,000 pieces of leather were used <laughs> in its creation. Incredible. The book consisted of six different panels, the front and back covers, the inside of the two boards known as doublures, and the two end leaves which were adorned with peacocks, plants, skulls and Persian patterns symbolising life and death. It sounds beautiful, yes. doesn't it? For both boards, hundreds of pieces of coloured goat skin needed to be prepared and cut. Numerous jewels had to be set in place, each within their own individual clasp, and weeks were spent applying intricate gold tooling across all the surfaces. Sangorski agonised over every detail and at one point he borrowed a human skull so he could accurately depict it in his artistic vision 
Incredible. Don't want to get that wrong. No, you didn't. (laughs) He even bribed a keeper at London Zoo to feed a live rat to a snake so he could capture the grisly image on first-hand experience. (laughs) He was very dedicated, this guy. (laughs) It was given a huge price tag of £1,000, which is the equivalent of £120,000 today. So, what, £240,000, $250,000? That seems all right. It's not bad for a book, I suppose. A New York dealer called Gabriel Wells, formerly Vice, happened to be in London in the summer of 1911 and he offered £800 for the book. This was declined and he was told he could have it for £900. (laughs) Wells refused and soon returned to the US. And so, on the 29th of March 1912, the book went under the hammer without a reserve price at the auction house Sotheby's. The London agent of Gabriel Wells paid £405 for it, so it was well worth waiting for the auction. The book narrowly missed, this is where the tragedy sets in, the book narrowly missed a crossing crossing on 6th of April and was instead taken aboard the next ship, the (laughs) RMS Titanic. (laughs) And it now lies at the bottom of the Atlantic, along with many other treasures lost in the disastrous Atlantic crossing. Further tragedy was to follow only 10 weeks after the sinking of the Titanic. Francis Sangorski was on holiday with his wife and their four children on the English south coast on the 1st of July 1912 when he decided to go for a dip in the sea at Selsey Bill in Sussex and was knocked off his feet and drowned. No! A replacement goes on. A replacement for the book was furnished at great expense by the late 1930s, but it was promptly incinerated by German bombers as the British capital was ravaged during the Blitz. It had been decided that the book needed protection from bombing raids, so it's wrapped in protective material and placed in a secure vault in Fourth Street in the City of London. You'd think it was safe as houses. Fourth Street was the first road in the city that the German bombers hit. Subsequent air raids in 1940 and 1941 levelled nearly all the buildings in the area, so it wasn't as safe as they thought. The rubble was eventually cleared and the safe containing Bray's Omar was located, still intact and apparently unscathed. But when it was opened, a ruined black mass was discovered, the sheer heat of the fire having melted the leather and charred the pages. As the country celebrated the end of war on VE Day in 1945, the bookbinder began work on a third binding of the Omar. Many of the jewels that had survived from his previous version were recycled and the book was presented to the British Library. The book remains among the library's collection, although access to it is rarely permitted. <laughs> For now, at least, it appears any curse has not taken hold. <laughs> but it almost uh, makes you think you should just take the first offer because um, it seems like that's the best way to go. Like, all of this hassle could have been saved if they'd just taken that first offer. Well, indeed, yes. So, uh, yeah. Well, maybe good good tale of um, determination, though. Just keep. Well, it was obviously a, a absolute, you know, love, passionate project. Exactly. So. <coughs> Excuse me. I've got a tickle from the shock. <coughs> it's probably because we've been talking about the unluckiest book you see indeed so i'm quite shocked that a book would be destroyed in such a way yeah yeah i'll leave you to talk now i was going to say i'll carry on so one <laughs> of the things that i was um looking at this week was the um the more place baths which i had heard about them ages and ages ago but i hadn't had a chance to kind of go back and uh, have another look at them and uh, and so i didn't realize that there were two lots of baths so, so these are was, swimming baths public swimming yes baths? Yeah. yeah like mm. kind of tepid pools so there oh. was the um 
the, the Turkish baths, which opened in 1874, they were the first of their kind in New Zealand, and they were there until 1908. And I found some great uh, descriptions in the advertising in the Evening Star in 1881, and it was, you know... It, promoted them as a cure for rheumatism, gout, sciatica, neuralgia, spinal weaknesses, and um, and other nervous uh, debilities. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so they um, so they closed in 1908, and then some more baths were um, built in 1914. Well, they opened in 1914, hmm. and and they're. On sort of up from the corner of Moray Place and Stewart Street, so I think there's a travel agent on the corner, right. and yeah, they just <clears throat> well, they would have been, they're not anymore. There's a car park there now, but um, they were just up from that, and then I was so just behind kind of, behind the Regent, yes, that area, yeah, yeah, mm. and um, and so then I found these articles about the when people were waiting to queue, they would put their pennies into the um, the stone of the building. So there's these little holes in the building. And then, so in 2009, uh, there was, they were kind of um, memorial, immortalised. And <laughs> so there's some uh, perspex has gone up to protect them. And Peter Olds wrote a poem. And uh, yeah, so it's very oh. sweet. So, and because I thought the other day, oh, I'll just go for a wee wander up and see if I can find them. Mm. And I walked past them and they went, hang on a second, I'm, I'm too far up now. So then I came back. Yeah, so you just, just, you know, you don't it's really... so hard to spot, yes. obviously, but they're there. Yeah, but they're there, so mm. just look out for them. So it'd be interesting to hear if anyone has more stories of, you know, are they, were they the holes that they made? Did you stick the... your penny in the wall? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those baths, um, they closed, so in 1964. Oh, no, mm. hang on. They closed, oh, no, yep, so they closed on the 6th of June, 1964, mm. and, uh, and their replacement, uh, Moana Paul, was opened um, on the 14th of November, 1964. Wow. So wow. that's a good story of... Baths and who knew they were there? That's you wouldn't think there would be swimming swimming baths there. Yeah, but when you see photos of them, they're quite big. Yeah, yeah, it seems like there were sort of different sort of areas that you could go into. So, yeah, it's interesting how the city changes, and you can't quite imagine what was there before. You you, you hear stories of what was there, but it's hard to. And then you think, really? Well, yeah, that's right. We went swimming there. <laughs> yeah, and now it's a car park. So they had a, a Turkish baths in there as well? Well, I'm not too sure if that was in the same place. Cause right. I just, yeah, I just sort of seen just some ads about them. Right. But, yeah, so it'd be good to know. Yeah, maybe if, somebody out there can remember. Yeah. yeah. So if, if, if you've got any recollections of the of the Moray Place baths, yeah. do get in touch with us. Because yeah. they had yeah, competitions and school sports days and things yeah. there as well. So, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to know. Very good. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, um, should we have some more songs? Yes, please. Let's have some songs. Um, or a song. Let's have um, this one. I want to play this one early, and then we've got some more talking to do afterwards. Cool. Um, so this one is called uh, Venus, and it's by The Feelers. Enjoy this one. Everywhere and back to Union Square Where do I get some sleep? Anywhere the sleep dust lies It decorates your eyes When do I get 
what I did there (laughs) (laughs) very smooth that was big runger and get some sleep and it wasn't the song I announced previously I do apologize press the wrong button ironic yeah get some sleep get some sleep I maybe I do need to get some sleep (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness me so sorry listeners I played the wrong one but hopefully you enjoyed that one by big runger um, we're probably coming to the end of our time now. So just a reminder that we've got actually next week, we have the wonderful Ron Esplin that uh, is the partner Very of Julie Woods, who she was referring to in her talk today. Uh, Ron is a, a, a wonderful artist and I had the pleasure of spending some time with him. Quite some time, as Julie mentioned, he does like to talk and I had a lovely, lovely conversation with him. So uh, part one of that conversation is next week. So tune in to 105.4 FM or 1575 AM at 11 o'clock on Monday. Monday for that show don't forget we have a repeat uh 
what's I keep saying screening, screening repeat yeah. repeat airing yes, um, at ten o'clock on Tuesday nights, and you can also of course listen to the podcast on oar dot org dot nz. You can just head on there and look for Recollections Radio. So, uh, oh, don't forget we've got some wonderful services. If, yes, you've, if you've enjoyed listening to us today and you're, you happen to be at home and uh, not able to get out and about too often, you can enjoy our Click and Collect service. Exactly, you take advantage of our Click and Collect service. So if you go online onto our, um, onto the library's website under services, you'll find the first tile, the first image that you'll see will be our Click and Collect service. And so you can just uh, contact us and our staff will choose up to 10 items for you from our collections. So it can be books or or magazines or whatever things you want to read and uh, and you can also pick up if you've got books or anything on hold we can add those to a bag for you as well so and you can just nominate which one of our libraries you want it um, want to collect it from and uh, yeah just uh, give us 48 hours and we can get you some books and interesting things to read together and uh, yeah so you can also um, contact the library as well you just call 03477 and we can take your order Fantastic. So if you've only got a five-minute part, that is a really good service. Yeah. You just pop in, grab your bag and go. Um, and I don't know if you mentioned you can also pick up your holds at the same time. Yep. They will they will do that for you if yeah. you tell them to uh, include Easy. your holds in those. And the other service we have for people who are homebound, perhaps a little bit more so, and aren't able to get out at all, um, we do have our wonderful home services providing a service. They will deliver these lovely red bags to you with your selection of books. Um Basically, they do a fabulous job looking after your reading needs. If you don't know about them yet, Home Services is a free service for people who find it difficult to visit libraries or book buses. They provide a tailor-made library service delivered to your door every month. So you get one of those wonderful red bags every month. They can provide fiction or non-fiction, large or regular print books, magazines, talking books, CDs, music CDs and DVDs. And for more information, you can phone 03474. 3681 or you can email homeservicesdpl at dcc.govt.nz and the wonderful friendly team will talk to you about what you need and put the bags together for you. So do take advantage of that service. Two fabulous opportunities there to use the library. Yeah, and they're really great at selecting books. They really are. Well, that really is all we've got time for today. So I'm going to press the button and we'll say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) We won't sing to you, but uh, goodbye from Jill and I. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.